Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and more of it than ever seems to be about business. How do workers benefit from the Great Resignation? Will TikTok change the music industry forever? I'm Nora Ali. And I'm Scott Rogowski. And we host Business Casual, a podcast from Morning Brew that dives into the unexpected business story behind everything. We're bringing you conversations with creators, thinkers, and innovators who can tell you what it all means and why you should care. Listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Growth League. I am Diana Kander, a Midwestern mom of two and keynote speaker. And like you, I feel the call to grow. To get us inspired for the week, every Monday, I seek out the most remarkable and curious women leaders and uncover their rule for growth. This week's rule from Jane Garvey is that curiosity is the secret to flexibility. This episode is brought to you by Influence & Co. To find out how Influence & Co. can help you create relevant content, get more leads, improve your website's SEO, and drive exposure for your brand, go to influenceandco.com slash growth. This March, in honor of Women's History Month, we're talking to women who were the first to do something big in their organization. Each of these women are trailblazers in their own right, And I wanted to spotlight them so that we can celebrate their wins, learn from their stories, and be inspired to get out there and achieve our own firsts. To close out the month, I spoke with the Honorable Jane Garvey. Jane was the first woman to serve as administrator of the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration in 1997, where she managed an agency with over 40,000 employees. As administrator, she presided over some of the most tumultuous times in the aviation industry, including the September 11th attacks, which she gives some very background info on today. Jane started her career as an English and history high school teacher before making the quantum leap to associate commissioner of the Massachusetts Department of Public Works. And she got there by fighting a project that the Public Works Department was putting on. She was also the director of the Boston Logan's International Airport and the deputy administrator of the Federal Highway Administration. Today, Jane Garvey serves on several boards and councils and is the global chairwoman of Meridian Infrastructure, where she partners with government agencies across the world to build sustainable, long-lasting infrastructure. And a fun fact about Jane is that she's the first woman to hold every position that she's ever held. Amazing. And before we get started, I just want to give you a heads up that because of a technical glitch with Jane's audio, it's not as amazing as the audio that you're used to from our guests, but the conversation is well worth it. So please stick around and enjoy this conversation with Jane Garvey. Jane, welcome to the show. Wonderful to be here. How did you go from being a teacher to being in charge of the highway department? Yeah, in many ways, I think that was the greatest leap of my career. The highways and roads and bridges was 
nothing I had ever thought about, nothing at all. But I got very active in a community organization that was fighting a highway project that was in our neighborhood that we thought was going to change the whole complexion of the community that we were part of in Western Massachusetts. You were so good at fighting a new highway that they were like, let's take this opponent, this let's take this person who's causing us a lot of trouble and put her in charge of the whole thing. What was it about the way that you fought the original highway bill that you think helped them make that decision? Well, I think you really have to prove yourself every step of the way. So I spent a lot of time really getting to know the department, and I had a lot of respect for the people who worked there. Second thing that I learned in my career is that you've got to be somewhat flexible. You've got to be curious. I was interested in what they were doing. I was not an expert in building highways, but I wanted to learn from them, and I wanted to hear you know, what was important to them. I think, in a sense, that ability to connect with the employees, mostly out of curiosity of what they were bringing to the table. I think that helped in maybe shaping the governor's thought that maybe this would be okay. (laughs) Maybe she wouldn't be so bad. You went from being in charge of the Department of Public Works in Massachusetts to the director of the Boston International Airport, the deputy administrator to the Federal Highway Administration, and then as the administrator of the FAA. I'd love to know when you came in and you were curious about the organization that you were leading, what were some of the surprises that you heard back from the staff at at any of the positions? Like what were some of the biggest ahas? I put a big emphasis on bringing in women to the workplace, diversity, but at that time, particularly women, there were no women in transportation in the mid 80s. And I was really, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was pretty astonished at the sort of, I guess you'd call it the collective creativity that sort of spontaneously happened when you added those different voices to the table. I thought it would make a difference, but I was, I I guess, to some degree, I was surprised at how much difference it made to the conversation when you brought in diverse candidates to the role. Why was it so important to you? I've never said this, but I sometimes wonder if it was just the fact that I thought, hey, I'd like to have a few females around here. (laughs) That wouldn't be so bad. Well, let's talk about some of the hard decisions that you had to make in your career and, of course, your time at the FAA and being in charge during 9-11 was one of them. You made the decision to ground all the planes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was an incredible day. I mean, it was the pilots like to call a day like September 11th, 2001 as a severe clear day. It was a perfect day for flying. So there were a lot of airplanes in the air, close to 5,000 in the U.S. airspace. And when the first plane hit, I was at the secretary's office. We were over at DOT meeting with the commissioner from the European Union. And the chief of staff came in and, you know, pulled the secretary out, pulled me out. We went in and looked at the television, saw the first plane hitting at about the same time that this was the days of beepers. My beeper went off and it was my office saying I needed to get back right away. And so the day really unfolded from there. It was not at all clear what was happening when the first two planes hit. After that, we said, this is not a random event. This is not just something that has happened. And it began a whole series of discussions, phone calls with the CEOs of the airlines, 
what are our options? What do we do? Do we know where all our aircraft are? And then finally, in very short order, when we were talking to the air traffic controllers the whole time, and the air traffic controllers started actually bringing some of the planes down. They stopped all the traffic on the East Coast. And that was sort of they, it's what you do in an emergency. You start bringing them down. And then they called and said, what do we do? We, of course, were in direct communication with the secretary, who was with the vice president by this time in an undisclosed location. And we said our recommendation is to bring them down, and they obviously agreed. And so I can still remember I had a large screen in my office and watching all the aircraft disappear until finally all you saw were the fighter jets in the air and, and the president's plane heading back to Washington. So it was pretty unbelievable. I remember getting the call from the air traffic controller, the head of air traffic control in, in Herndon saying, every plane is within 40 miles of a safe destination. It was an incredible day and the beginning of an incredible year, actually, as we all really changed, changed exactly the way we think about security, the way we think about sharing intelligence and information among federal agencies. It was an extraordinary, extraordinary time. But I will say, I, I, I give a tremendous amount of credit to the airlines, to the flight attendants, the, the pilots who were in the air that day, to the air traffic controllers who were managing, all of whom stayed calm and in the face of tremendous, tremendous uncertainty. How do you stay composed? I don't know. Did you have to leave to take a minute? How did you personally handle that situation? I'm not sure I felt calm, but I think I have been able to convey a sense of, of calm. I had two very excellent assistants at the time, and they were in there with me. So, you know, we, we had some sense of being able to sort of share our feelings with each other. But there was a very much a surreal feeling about it. I mean, it was sort of like you're almost on autopilot in a way. I remember thinking, I have to call home, let them know everything's okay. Well, I just have to ask, was there like, you know, in a typical crisis, there could be people screaming. <laughs> like, did, did anybody need to calm down? I don't know. I just, I'm so curious. There actually were a couple of, of staff people who did kind of just lose it. And we just said, you know what? You got to go home. You just got to go home. So, um, and I, I completely understand it. I don't criticize that at all. We had air traffic controllers who had a spouse on, on one of the planes that went down. So, you know, those folks were really under enormous pressure. But again, you, I guess you're just always drawing some sort of inner strength that you somehow can find. I was always grateful, though, and I, I, I'm very grateful for the kind of relationship I had with the employees at that time, particularly with the air traffic controllers. There was no second guessing either either one side or the other. You know, we had built that bond that was really served us well, not just then, but as we went through the incredibly difficult months afterwards. Chances are that you're listening to this show because you want to grow personally and professionally. So if you like what you've been hearing here, then you should also check out Art of Power, a new kind of leadership podcast from WBEZ Chicago. Each week, award-winning journalist and best-selling author Arthi Shahani interviews fascinating people from all walks of life who've turned their passion into real-world impact. She focuses on outsiders like herself, people who were excluded, who were told that they don't belong, but who broke through anyway. Her guests are household names like President Barack Obama, 
and names that you don't know but maybe should, like Gabby Pacheco, the dream activist who cornered Obama into action. No question is off limits. Arthi takes you through intimate and unexpected conversations. That's her superpower. Listen to Art of Power today wherever you get your podcasts. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because they were advertising on my husband's podcast and he was drinking some. And one day I was like, can I try it? You're so excited and enthusiastic about this product. And I literally haven't missed a day since. So what's in this stuff? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. You can feel it when you're missing it from your daily intake. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's the one thing that you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. It supports better sleep quality and recovery and supports mental clarity and alertness. AG1 costs you less than $3 a day and allows you to invest in your health at a cheaper value than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition since we're still in the middle of cold and flu and COVID season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. The travel packs are clutch. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com growth. Again, that's athleticgreens.com growth to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So you've described, you know, the most difficult day, and I'm sure there were others. Tell me what were some of the setbacks that you experienced in your career and and how did you deal with them? I often look back. I try very, very hard not to be negative or say, ah, you know, but I try to focus on what I can learn from the situation. So, I mean, take the most extreme example, like 9-11. It was really, really a serious, serious call to rethink how we approached security and how we approached sharing intelligence in this country. So that's the most profound and probably the most dramatic moment where, you know, you, you can't lose any time by sort of dwelling on the, the on the negative or dwelling on the past, but saying, okay, what can I learn from this? And I think I've had lots of situations like that. I look back now and I think there were certainly times where I wish I had acted sooner, particularly when it came to some personnel decisions where you thought, you know, some folks weren't in the right position. It takes me sometimes a while to to kind of acknowledge that because it's painful. It's painful to let someone go or just to say, you know, you're just this isn't the right place for you. So I, I think those can be difficult, but I try very hard in every situation to say, not, boy, I really screwed up, but more, what can I learn from that? And that's sometimes hard. You've described all of the things you had to do in the aftermath of 9-11 
were you working like 80 hour weeks? Like, was there any kind of semblance of life in addition to work? You know, my family stayed in Massachusetts, so they were not in D.C. with me. And in hindsight, actually, that was probably good because I didn't get home quite as much as I had wanted to. And, and, and that was hard. And we had the shoe bomber very shortly after, which started the whole chain again. We had an accident in November. I think it was Veterans Day weekend. And a, an American plane went down in Queens. And the immediate reaction was, oh, my God, is this another terrorist attack? And again, we had Tom Ridge on the phone, who was the new Homeland Security person. He had just started that day. Of course, Secretary Ridge is saying, should we bring all the planes down? And I remember swallowing hard when I said this. No, this is a mechanical. You can't overreact because I remember the president talking about President Bush talking about can't overreact to these sorts of things. And it turned out to be exactly right. Another very difficult time for me, but it was as much personal, was when John Kennedy went down. And I remember getting a call from the air traffic controller saying that Senator Kennedy is looking for you. And Senator Kennedy is, as you can well imagine, uh, to a person from Massachusetts, was beloved here. He and Senator Kerry were the two who nominated me for the FAA position. They spoke on my behalf to Congress. I remember talking to Senator Kennedy and him saying, John has not come. We're expecting him at a wedding uh, up in the Cape. He's not here, but we're sure he's just somewhere. We're sure. And by that time, I had talked to the controllers and said he was up and then he disappeared. So you sort of knew what was, what was going to the outcome of that. And that was a very, very, obviously very difficult time for the family and for people who really were so fond and had so much admiration for the Kennedy. I'd love to know how you maintain a sense of curiosity inside of difficult situations. You know, when your brain wants to go to immediate problem solving mode, like let's fix this as quickly as possible. Do you have that ability to take a step back and say, what else? I think if you don't take a step back and say, what else, you won't be able to solve the problem. You got to learn as much as you can. One thing 9-11 did, one thing that almost every experience I've been in, it, it causes you to, you know, sort of challenge some of your assumptions. And that's okay. I mean, that's, I think, good to do. It's good to do about people, you know, your assumptions about people. I heard someone the other day say that certainty is absurd. You know, in other words, you can never be fully certain about every everything. So it is part of that questioning. But I also have to say that at some point, you got to move on. At some point, you say, I've got enough information. I understand enough, even, even making job choices. You know, you learn as much as you can, but then you say, okay. It's not going to hit me in the face, yes or no, but just let's make a decision here. Yeah, I love that. Okay, Jane, it's time for our speed round. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that menacing. Don't worry. <laughs> what is something that you used to think was a talent that you either had or you didn't have, but you've since realized is actually a skill that you can learn and develop? I think an ability to work with people. Really? And having an empathetic nature, I think you can learn. Tell me more. Again, I think it's kind of curiosity. 
I mean, I think it's, it's asking people. I'm struggling, frankly, on the whole division in our country. And I really struggle with that because I have some very good friends who feel very differently and it seems very personal to me. But I keep trying to just sort of, well, tell me a little bit more about how you feel. So I think it goes back to asking that question. And I think you, you, you do find that people fundamentally are, we all have the same goals. We all have the same concerns. I think you can, you can work on that. I know you're a podcast listener. If you were to start a podcast, what would the subject be? It would probably lean on being in non-traditional roles because I feel like I'm still learning, even 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 now. I think a lot about different parts of my career and feel like I'm still learning. But I love to encourage young women to, you know, take a chance, go for it, don't hesitate, and have some confidence. So would it be like an advice ask Jane show? Well, that that would be good. Yeah, that could be fun. <laughs> Let's ask Jane. Uh, and then um, it could be like my family. Let's ask mom and then do exactly the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> that is something specifically reserved for the family. Yeah, that's right. What is a strongly held belief that you have that would make for a fun debate at a dinner party? Oh, I hate to say it, but I do think any of the political discussion, I enjoy those. <laughs> those I mean, would be love, fun for you. <laughs> yeah, I love it with, I mean, I like it with people who think differently but aren't so dug in and also have still a moral core. I don't know. I think, I think maybe also it would be fun to have a discussion with someone about it. If you could have dinner with two former presidents or two former leaders, who would they be? And I would be interested to, it would be interesting to hear, and I don't know who mine would be. I have to think about it, but it would be interesting to hear different perspectives on that. I bet it would reveal a lot. Oh, that's a great question. I'm I'm always in search of a, like a solid question, and that's that's a good one, Jane. Well, I'd love to help people, you know, who are trying to be more curious and flexible in their own life. I'd love to give them a like three step process to help implement that more in your life. What what kind of advice would you give to making curiosity and flexibility into a habit? I think one is to read one article every week. That is on a subject that you might be remotely interested in, but you really don't know much about. I think the next time someone is in a, a conversation with someone that they may not know well, pick something that that person has, has thought about or mentioned and ask them more. So I think it is almost every time you engage in any kind of a discussion with someone, sort of asking more about what they're doing. And finally, I think when you're looking for a job or next career move, explore those ideas that may be presented to you that you, your first reaction would be, no, not for me. Test it out. Talk to some folks and give it a try. Oh, that is phenomenal advice. Well, Jane, this has been delightful. Thank you so very much for your time and your perspective and like a master class on, on curiosity. Well, I hope you get something out of it. Thank you so much. Thank you. What an amazing conversation with Jane Garvey. And to help me break it down and make sure that we get all the takeaways from the conversation that we can is Taylor Williamson, one of the producers of this show. Taylor, welcome back. Excited to be back. Round two. A lot more <laughs> confidence this time. Awesome. So, you know, 
just because Jane was appointed to her political position doesn't mean that any of the jobs had anything to do with any of the other jobs. And they each commanded these huge employee numbers and really big responsibilities. I just think it's so interesting how she took jumps from one field to the next. And, you know, for me, like being open to that and the opportunities that are before you is really one of the main takeaways. And I started my career having like a very linear idea of what I was going to do. I was going to be the youngest partner at a law firm, you know, having gone to law school and like very quickly was like, nope, nope, that's not the linear path for me. How did you start out your career? And what do you think about this experience from Jane looking forward? It sounds like we had somewhat of a similar start. I, I didn't get quite as far as you, but I was on the path to becoming a lawyer, just the very the first step of the path, because right after graduation, I was a paralegal at a big corporate D.C. law firm. And I thought that law school and becoming a lawyer was the path for me. And obviously that path is very clear cut and linear. But probably about after six months, I realized this was not for me <laughs> and it really didn't take long. And it gave me the opportunity to zoom out a little bit on my life and subconsciously and intentionally focus on what I was curious about and passionate about. And so the way I was able to do that was at work. I don't know if people know, but paralegal work is not the most demanding or the most interesting at all times. So I was listening to a lot of podcasts, like seven a day. And oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I was sitting there and I was like, I am so engrossed in these stories. And not only that, but I'm asking myself, why am I so interested in these stories? What is making me hooked? And then also, like, what's the business behind this? People are doing this as a career. How can I do this as a career? So I was definitely moved by her story. And I don't know if I'll have a, another quantum leap, but it definitely gives me the confidence after doing it once to do it again. Yeah. A lot of times people will contact me and they were like, hey, can you help me find a lawyer? And I'm like, oh, wow, that's like five careers ago. And now I can say that's five quantum leaps ago. <laughs> like I'm such a different person now, but only because I was open to the opportunities that were there. And you're adding a whole other element to it, Taylor, which is like, think about what you're the most curious about and what you're passionate about, and then go look for opportunities there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all deserve to have a job that we love and a job that keeps us on our toes and we're always learning. And I think that's the beauty of the reinvention and being able to make those leaps. Well, after having worked with Taylor for more than six months now, this is the first that I've heard about her quantum leap. And it makes me really curious about all of the quantum leaps from our Growth League audience, from our Growth League members. So please join us in the Facebook group and share your quantum leap story. I'm so excited to hear more. Thank you again to Influence & Co. for sponsoring this show. If you're having trouble scaling your content marketing efforts to see results, I highly recommend having a strategy call with Influence & Co. It's one of the only agencies that I've found that will handle your on-site content needs and your PR. Just visit influenceandco.com growth to learn more. And with promo code growth, our listeners can access their course for social media content for 50% off. That's it for this week's episode of The Growth League. 
please make sure that you're subscribed to get all the future episodes and leave us a review to let us know how you're liking the show. I'm Diana Kander, following Jane Garvey's lead to remind you that curiosity is your superpower and it is your key to flexibility in whatever adventures await you. The Growth Leak is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Edie Allard, Adesua Agbanile, and Taylor Williamson. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan, and our editor is Emily Rudder.